Welcome to Epidemiology Now. My name is Eunyoung Lee. Epidemiology Now is a podcast prepared for students in Health 323 Introduction to Epidemiology at Queen's University. Okay, hello everyone. Today we have Dr. Dong Woo Kang. Um, he's recently graduated from the University of Alberta. Um, and he, he's currently working as a, or he's starting to work as a postdoctoral fellow in the Department of Medical Oncology at Harvard University. So we really appreciate Dr. Kang coming in and talking for us about randomized controlled trial. And I'm really excited to have some conversation about it. Hello, Dr. Kang. Hi, uh, Dr. Young. Uh, <laughs> Lee, sorry, Dr. Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Young. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me, having me yeah. here. Yeah, thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. So so you just moved to Boston. How's Boston? Uh Boston is so beautiful, very, very beautiful city, very historic city. I haven't been really exploring this place yet, but um mm-hmm. I just got here two days ago. Still like yeah. a lot of jet lag and <laughs> adjusting <laughs> myself, but I yeah, a lot to discover. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully when the COVID is over, hopefully um, you'll be able to enjoy the city a little bit more. And congratulations on your new position. Thank you. Um, so. that's, yeah, very exciting. Um, so today we're going, we are going to be talking about randomized controlled trials. It's one of the study designs that are that is often used in epidemiology. Um, and I know that you've done some research using randomized controlled trials. So I w- I'm really excited to talk about it. So before we really begin, do you want to give our students a sense of who you are in any way that you like? Sure. Um, so it's just Dr. Lee said, I'm a postdoc. I just uh, graduated from the University of Alberta in kinesiology um, major. And my background is largely in exercise physiology. So I graduated um, Yonsei University in Korea from uh, the Department of um, Sports and Leisure Studies and the the master's degree in the same university. So I have um, graduated from from the kinesiology um, background. And um, and I... uh, yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Yeah, thanks for the thanks for the intro. Um, so, so, can you tell us now a little bit about what you do for your research? Like, what is your disciplinary uh, training? What is your expertise, and what are your research interests? Sure. So, mostly, uh, I have. So there is some kind of research questions that are asking, um, for example, how exercise can benefit people people with disease, especially cancer patients, for particularly for my uh, research area. So we are really focusing on in many aspects, but um, how exercise is physiolo- physiologically changes our body that can help with cancer uh, patients patients' uh, progression of their disease. Mm-hmm. Or also, we are focusing on their psychological aspect, how exercise can help with, so for example, depression in cancer patients or anxiety, mm-hmm. uh, as well as in some um, 
other like physical activity behavior itself. So in the long mm-hmm. term, uh, behavior changes. So there are like large uh, like, um, body of um, research that has had been done in this kind of research area, which is called exercise oncology. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's yeah. Perfect. Yeah, thanks for the description. So it sounds like your work is at the nexus of, you know, physiology, 14 students exercise physiology, um, Mm -hmm. oncology, exercise oncology, and epidemiology, because you are using epidemiological methods in your research. Um, Mm -hmm. But is there any reason why you chose uh, cancer out of, you know, different chronic diseases that are getting more and more prevalent? (laughs) Absolutely. I think it's more um, more personal to me because I have some uh, a family um, history that who who has has died died of cancer and mm. my dad also was um, a cancer survival. He was diagnosed with prostate cancer and also lung cancer, and he had mm-hmm. to go through very difficult treatment and. Um, and as an exercise physiologist and or a researcher, I got to ask oh, how exercise can help with uh, health cancer patients with their um, mm-hmm. uh, treatments or um, the mental health that are, that are really, really, um, really difficult sometimes. Mm-hmm. And there have not been a lot of research until let's, let's say 10 to 15 years ago. And then this exercise oncology research has been um, established a lot over the last 10 to 15 years. So mm-hmm. it's relatively new field of research. And also there's lots of demands um, from like patients and mm-hmm. patient um, supporters and caregivers too. Mm-hmm. So um, I think this is a really important area in, in especially kinesiology and medical. There are lots of interest in many fields. Mm-hmm. Um, surrounding cancer patients and exercise. Mm-hmm. So it's, it sounds like you have a strong personal motivation, but also um, there's a big gap in, in research mm-hmm. where, where this particular uh, research, sub- research area is really important for mm-hmm. you know, future cancer patient care. Exactly. Yeah. I can give you a really quick example how important I think it is. So sure. maybe, yeah, maybe 15 years ago, you can mm-hmm. think about um, cardiac patients. Mm-hmm. And at the time, if you're uh, having cardiac surgery, mm-hmm. and what you need to do is to, you have to uh, lying on a bed for six to eight weeks doing nothing. That's the first line of treatment or mm-hmm. not treatment. It's the first line of plan for them. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, if you, as you might know, if you had a cardiac surgery, exercise is the first thing you do the next the next day you you're done your treatment or, or the surgery so really like right next day right next day you have mm-hmm. to start the kind of by walking mm-hmm. or you have to rehabilitate yourself right mm-hmm. after the surgery mm-hmm. so that's how um this kind of exercise research has done over the years and then it has been implemented in the medical field mm-hmm so it actually, yeah, I think it can be applied to cancer setting too. Mm-hmm, but for now, sure. Yeah, but now we don't have any uh, kind of formal or medical care for cancer patients. Um, yeah, right now. Right. 
So, so basically at Harvard, what you're going to continue to work on is to implement exercise um, component into cancer patient care. Exactly. That's our uh, kind of end goal. Nice. Research, yes. Yeah, nice. That's good. Um, okay, so we're going to move on to the next question. So can you, the, it's, this is the main topic of this interview. Can you tell us about what randomized controlled control the trial is um, and how you utilize that method in your research. Absolutely. So I think randomized control trial, uh, RCT for short, uh, is a type of experimental studies that are uh, testing the effectiveness of inter uh, intervention or interventions to uh, control group. So Randomized controlled trial is um, is a very kind of um, essential part of a treatment to be implemented to patients. Mm -hmm. uh, randomized controlled trial is to reduce any type of bias that can be um, found or uh, in different types of researches. And then we use those um, previous evidence that we use and we we do this randomized control trial to kind of confirm the effect of the intervention. Mm -hmm. So so uh, yes. so you mentioned about the bias and RCT is to minimize potential biases that could happen that could occur in research. Um, so can you tell tell us a little bit more about that? What kind of biases are you talking about? And how do you control those biases or minimize those biases using what kind of protocols, per se, for example? Sure. So normally, when you are when you want to test, for example, um, I think it's a it's a good example if you can use this COVID nineteen vaccine. Oh because, yeah. Yeah, that's been. <laughs> I think you've been hearing about this in the mm -hmm. news a lot. So for sure. Yes, so you, we want to test this vaccine if mm -hmm. it's effective or not. And randomized control trial can recruit a group of patients. And then we select any of these people. So for example, one person was recruited, recruited and we randomize this person either like um, this vaccine or a placebo. Mm -hmm. So these patients can be anyone and we don't um, separate them based on their baseline characteristics. Mm -hmm. So, uh, when you test about, uh, um, when you sometimes uh, try to find this kind of effect from this large group of people mm -hmm. from epidemiological studies, um, and then if you select people from using your research question, or there might be selection bias. But in randomized control trial, for example, selection bias is minimized by randomizing these people, either group A or dysfection or the other placebo group. Mm -hmm. At the end of the study, is uh, any bias, for example, for selecting people mm -hmm. is all balanced out because it's all randomized. Right. Throughout the study. Mm -hmm. So people are... Uh, 
randomized into either intervention in this example, um, getting vaccinated or to control. So those who are receiving placebo yes. um, and do the participants would know which group they are in? So yeah, they wouldn't, yes, that's a good question. So yeah, they would not know if they are, um, which group they are in. So mm -hmm. that's another really good component about the randomized control trial, so which is called blinding. So right. uh, yeah, um, so single there's a single blinding, double blinding, or triple blinding. There are different terminologies, but I don't know mm -hmm. if you want to. But uh, simply sure, go ahead. Yeah, simply put, so single blinding is uh, so the patients who are getting this treatment are mm -hmm. blinded to the intervention or the treatment. So mm -hmm. patients do not know what they are getting. So that's right. very, very essential blinding component. Mm -hmm. But if a randomized control trial is more, um, is more uh, robust in terms of to see the effectiveness, mm -hmm. investigator who are um, uh, or implying, imp implementing this uh, study, let's for example, nurses, or do they are also blinded to the um, uh, to the treatment groups? So that's think double blind, uh, double blind setting, and then triple blind is also adding on a research investigator mm. are kind of um, designing this study, mm -hmm. like, and they are also blinded, and we call it triple blinding. Mm -hmm. So triple blinding is the most robust uh, blinding protocol. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So there, so we can see there might be a type of bias when if you know uh, this person is this group and that person is that group, and then as an investigator you might have a bias to, mm -hmm. uh, for example, like analyzing data or reporting these outcomes. So this is really important component and then make this result more robust um, in, in many aspects. Right. So I, I just want to um, talk a little bit deeper about this. So these researchers can have a bias in terms of um, analyzing and interpreting the data when they know which people are assigned to intervention or control. Right. Um, yeah, what do you mean by that? Can you explain a little bit more? Sure. I can just give you a very simple example mm -hmm. that can happen, especially in exercise trials. Mm -hmm. So, unlike drug trials, exercise trial cannot, uh, you can think of it, exercise trial cannot uh, make patients or inter interventionists to be blinded to the group. For example, mm -hmm. you are getting exercise, right? Blinded that you are not <laughs> you're doing exercise or not. You know right. you're doing exercise, right? And then also, if you are exercise physiologists who are providing exercise programs, and you know this mm -hmm. person in exercise group, right? And you you would know their names, and you would get to know them personally. So it's exactly in, so in exercise um, RCTs, it impossible to have um, triple blinding or, or double blinding because exactly. of the nature of the study design and yeah, the exactly. program. 
exactly yeah. but yeah that, so what i was gonna say was so if you are not blended to the group for example patients for example patient i'm a patient who are uh, in the exercise group and then this patient is maybe um for example filling out this questionnaire that this intervention was helpful for their anxiety mm-hmm just the fact that they know they're doing exercise and you, they know exercise might be beneficial mm. and they know they are in the exercise group. Mm-hmm. So regardless of the actual effect of exercise, they might report that they are better. Right. So that's right. a type of bias that can, that can happen. Mm-hmm. And also so interventionists, they know or in many um, settings, exercise interventionists can also measure their baseline and post-intervention outcomes. And they might think, or there might be a bias that exercise pay, uh, group should have a better outcomes. And that's, mm-hmm. so we have to uh, kind of blind this uh, or, or have to minimize this kind mm-hmm. of potential bias. Right. Right. So then let's talk about the RAIDS trial. So um, I believe that you wrote your doctoral thesis based on this trial. So you were the, the leading person of this ERASE trial. So can you tell us a, a, about what this is, what the trial twi- trial is? <laughs> Absolutely. I, um, I actually just had my uh, doctoral defense <laughs> like a month ago. So I hope I can remember <laughs> everything. <laughs> uh, so ERASE trial is kind of acronym of my study. It's called Effect of Exercise, uh, Effect of Exercise During Active Surveillance in Prostate Cancer Patients. Mm-hmm. You didn't forget that. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's the title. Let's see. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. So... Uh, as you know, I am having those kind of questions, how exercise can help with uh, so cancer. And we, uh, I got to know that there are a group of patients who are diagnosed with prostate cancer specifically, and they are not getting any treatment. But at first I thought that doesn't make sense. They have cancer and then they have to be treated right away. Mm-hmm. But but there has been some concerns that pe- patients are overdiagnosed, hmm. thereby there are over over treatments, which means they don't really need to be treated, and they have some side effects from treatments mm-hmm. while they didn't really need to, and they didn't really need to go through these side effects of these mm-hmm. difficult treatments. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really kind of new concept in a cancer. Um, cancer settings and people are so there are some cancer patients who are not getting treatments mm-hmm. and it's called in specifically in, in prostate cancer uh, we call it active surveillance mm-hmm. term that we use in, in the medical urology or uro-oncology mm-hmm. active surveillance is a uh, practical um, a clinical practice that uh, Patients are not getting any treatment, but they're really actively monitored. If the tumor they found from either biopsy or blood work, they're just closely monitored and see if it's progressing or not. Mm-hmm. And if there's a sign, they can be treated. 
unless、mm-hmm. they can just live with the cancer,、mm-hmm. and it doesn't harm anything. Like they're just fine. They're just、right. fine with cancer.、Mm-hmm. So my question was, oh, although the make the risk is low, that's why they are just monitored.、Mm-hmm. But exercise also can do something. For example, exercise. I know that as an exercise physiology background, exercise increases immunity, and also it increases cancer surveillance, which、mm-hmm. is、um, kind of physiological、uh, mechanism that can find cancer tumors throughout the body and fight with the cancer.、Mm-hmm. And also, there are a lot of mechanisms that can that can address these issues.、Mm-hmm. So I、um, had this question, and then try, wanted to test that exercise can. Help first. This patient has、uh, cancer, and then it can reduce or delay any progression of their cancer progression.、Mm-hmm. So、uh, another really important part of this ERASE study was this patient have higher anxiety and、uh, fear of cancer progression. And you can imagine if you live with cancer and then it's not treated, and you have. You you might probably have an anxiety.、Mm-hmm. There's chance that it can it can grow.、Mm-hmm. So it's kind of、um, trade off that the, you're not getting treatment and side effects, but、mm-hmm. you might have this kind of high anxiety. So、right. we want see, yeah yes. So we want to see、um, if exercise is helping with their anxiety too.、Mm-hmm. And maybe lastly, you know, exercise is、um, kind of we call it re- prehabilitation.、Mm-hmm. So this is、uh, also if you are getting any surgery and then you fear pre-training yourself before any treatment, and then you can have a better outcome from this treatment, or、mm-hmm. your fitness level is better, or、mm-hmm. your, for example, lung cancer patients. You need to improve your lung capacity to get the lung cancer treatment, and、mm-hmm. you have better result. Right. So if you have if you do exercise before any impending treatments in these patients with prostate cancer, and if they improve their fitness, they might have a better treatment outcome in the future. If they,、mm-hmm. they get treatment. So those、right. are the three important yeah components of the study. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think you introduce three really some、um, important terms. So there are there there is active surveillance,、mm-hmm. um, and also there is a、uh, prehabilitation. Right.、Um, and I have a question, follow up question about active surveillance. So compared to passive surveillance,、mm-hmm. so when you say active surveillance, what does that entail exactly?、Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So this is not for all cancer, but this is very specific to prostate cancer.、Mm-hmm. So once you are done with the pro- or any cancer treatment, you are just following up、uh, every year,、mm-hmm. for example, in in gen in general.、Mm-hmm. But for a-、uh, active surveillance, these prostate cancer patients who have their tumors, they are. At least、um, seeing their doctor every three months or six months to do blood work, and also every one year there's specific protocols for each like centers, and every one year they get、um, like a 
um, imaging scanning mm-hmm. biopsies every one and a half a year. Mm-hmm. So there's this very specific protocol they follow to actively mm-hmm. monitor their tumor. Right. So any So this blood work is more like regular and more short-term follow-up if it triggers any uh, concern that mm-hmm. uh, tumor looks like it's growing, they have to be really... Um, um, concerned and then they do more um, monitoring mm-hmm. things. So, so I guess your work was to essentially to to incorporate um, exercise programs into active surveillance for pros- prostate cancer patients. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and in pre- previously, you also mentioned about baseline characteristics of your potential samples. So right. when you say baseline characteristics, what do you mean by that? So baseline characteristics are basically uh, the any type of demographic or medical or behavioral uh, characteristics or profiles that, um, that are... Um, based on the patients who are recruited before their intervention. Mm-hmm. So that's, so, yes. Yeah, so so in RCTs, like mm-hmm. other experiments, um, there's pre, kind of a pre-intervention measures and right. post-intervention measures. That's right. That's exactly the yeah. right. From here, so they are, we, we are recruiting, let's say, 10 patients and we measure mm-hmm. Every, everyone and we randomize these 10 patients either exercise group or control group mm-hmm. and measure the same thing after the treatment i see and they compare the two but mm-hmm. these like characteristics I, I mentioned right and in the treatment phase uh, people will be randomized into uh, control group or intervention group exactly right right Okay, um, that's very helpful. Thank you. Um, and in your article, so in the folio article, um, you mentioned that, and you also said it uh, just now, exercise can potentially help reduce the fear and anxiety pa- uh, patients may have from living with cancer. Um, so, so th- I guess there's a there's this focus on uh, mental health and improving mental health among cancer patients um, who are in active surveillance. And, and so from your study, like how many people in the intervention group and how many people in the control group uh, showed progression to? Anxiety. Yeah. So Regarding anxiety, mm-hmm. so we have 26 patients in each group, exercise group, and the other control group. Mm-hmm. The exercise, so we, I don't have a specific numbers of patients because we just look at the mean value of mm-hmm. patients who are um, the, the mean value of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And we compared, so for example, at baseline, exercise group had a specific number of anxiety and control group as well after the mm-hmm. interview. And we measured the two and we mm-hmm. the difference of these numbers. 
So exercise group in, uh, actually decreased their anxiety levels and control mm -hmm. group was all, almost like the same mm. level between the baseline and the post-intervention. Mm -hmm. And the of the exercise group uh, was, uh, the anxiety level in the exercise group was significantly different from the control group right. in our study. So this was also very important or very exciting finding of the ways mm -hmm. that uh, exercise can help with uh, anxiety in these patients. Right, right. So the results showing that exercise group actually shows um, lowered or decreased anxiety and the mm -hmm. control group who did not participate in exercise programming um, showing the same amount of, yeah, no changes in, in anxiety that actually says something about the importance of exercise program uh, right. in, in this uh, active surveillance phase. Exactly. Nice. exactly. And this anxiety mm -hmm. also, just a little bit more about this, and this anxiety was very, very prostate cancer specific. So mm. we measured different types of anxiety so we also measured like general anxiety. Mm -hmm. Like, are you anxious? Are you distressed? Are you mm -hmm. feeling um, depressed? Mm -hmm. Also, we have another part of this questionnaire they're asking, are you concerned about your prostate cancer progressing? Mm -hmm. in the so it was very much like prostate cancer specific, but their mm -hmm. overall anxiety was not different between the two groups, but prostate cancer wise, mm -hmm. it was different. Right. Okay. Um, and in terms of tumor growth, so you measured that pre and post as well? Yes, in a sense. Yeah, we measured biochemical progression mm -hmm. of prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. And then it's called the PSA, prostate uh, specific antigen. It's a very uh, specific, specific uh, biomarker that are uh, indicating any progression of prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. Exercise group, the, the, this number, the higher, the worse. There's mm -hmm. the number goes up mm -hmm. and uh, patients or the doctors are concerned that uh, exercise, uh, cancer might have been progressed. Mm -hmm. Exercise actually in, in this setting uh, decreased the PSA level in uh, compared to the control group. Mm -hmm control group was, um, they didn't also have an increase in PSA level, but exercise group had a decrease mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah, in, uh, in their PSA level. Uh -huh. So that's also another very exciting finding about uh, the Z-Rays trial. Exactly. I was very excited about this. <laughs> yeah. Exercise can help with actual cancer uh, progression as a marker. Mm -hmm. Although we are not measuring the actual tumor size or we didn't do a uh, biopsy, so we don't know any pro uh, pro aggressiveness of tumor, but we just we were able to see this biochemical progression. Of, mm -hmm. of nice. Okay, that's good. Um, okay, well, thanks for the interview today and talking about your research. It was very um, uh, insightful and and um, I'm sure in addition to the lecture video recording that I'm gonna post, I'm sure this will be a good addition in terms of, you know, for students to understand, understand uh, randomized controlled trial 
what the actual RCT look like. Um, so thanks again, Dr. Kang. Um, is there anything else you would like to convey to students at the end? It could be anything you're just, you know, embarking on your new career um, in the States. Uh, so is there anything that you want to convey to our students who want to, would likely end up getting a job in health professions? I think... I as a also also I was I used to be a third year bachelor student before did not know what to do but um uh I I found it really really rewarding to me um I get to see these patients every day pretty much mm -hmm. every day before covid but um this is really rewarding and I felt really uh, fulfilled that I can actually offer something very significant to them mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's I just want to say that you can look around there are some really good uh, things you as an exercise uh, major people you can um, provide something very um, meaningful to um, maybe can be anyone who, who are with disease mm -hmm. who are, or, or marginalized who are um, um, or uh, people with disabilities. And there are so many places we can help people. So mm -hmm. if you can look around and there are some ideas you might uh, want to help people. And um, again, I think if you have any questions about uh, anything about this exercise oncology or career, um, you can email me. I guess Young can uh, share my email to you. Sure. Mm -hmm. I'll do that. And just uh, feel free to uh, contact me. Okay. Well, thanks, Dr. Kang. Thank you so much, Young, for having me here. I was, I was so happy to be <laughs> an uh, interviewee here. Oh, thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Bye.